Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Well, hello world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I got a bit of a croaky throat tonight. I think it's having to put up with the 80-degree temperatures in Los Angeles every day. Um, had a very touristy week this week. I had um, about 12 guests come in from all over the world. And so we've been showing them all the sights and having lunches and dinners and late drinks every day. And it does make you realize what a fantastic city this is, but it also makes you realize that you, <laughs> it takes a bit of a toll. Now, for those of you who are listening for the first time, we're very proud of the fact that week after week, we bring entrepreneurs and small business leaders all the latest information on what's happening in the world of business all throughout the world. We're the number one radio show on the planet for entrepreneurs, and that's because over the past three years, we've discussed hundreds of topics that are absolutely critical to successful businesses. We've interviewed over 150 of the top movers and shakers on the planet. We've had interviews with people from 17 countries, and we're all looking forward to doing it all again in 2014. Now, last week, we discussed a number of the initiatives that were launched at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and as usual, there were a heap of incredible products. Now, some of them are a bit quirky, like the uh, iPhone that doubles as a stun gun, just in case somebody assaults you in the street while you're on the phone, but it's kind of cute. There are also lots of wearables particularly watches. Now, the watches now are brilliant and extremely functional, but the challenge is to make them attractive and fashionable rather than walking around looking like you've got a miniature television screen on your wrist. So that's the challenge. As soon as they come up with one that looks good, I'm in. But one of the interesting areas for me was the developments that are happening in the race to have a fully connected car. Google unveiled its version of its open-source Android, Android smartphone. Um, it's an operating system which will power a, class, a car's dashboard-based information and entertainment systems. In, it incorporates apps like Waze, for example. Audi's released a tablet for the cars that will also run on this new car system, similar to the one that Apple launched last year. So Silicon Valley and Detroit are in a race to bring internet technology and services directly to your car. Now, there's a, as you know, there's a gigantic mobile market in the car with the enormous revenue potential that it possesses. And uh, it's estimated that within five years, there'll be somewhere between 60 and 100 million connected cars on the road in the United States with focused telecom hardware and software services, driving a $50 billion business. Pandora alone is now being used in 2.5 million cars and in 100 car models. And I have to admit that this week when 
we've needed more than one car. I've uh, hired a car to give us that extra that extra space to get around with all the people that had come in. And having to listen to terrestrial radio instead of my normal Sirius system nearly drove me crazy. All of the ads, all of the crap you don't want to listen to makes you really appreciate just how fantastic Sirius and um, Pandora are. They really make a difference to your travelling. Although I must admit I did catch um, Ryan Seacrest uh, on Kiss FM the other day, which I never would have done otherwise, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I don't know, maybe it's just me. But phones and cars, when you think about it, they're absolutely made for each other. Most of the things we do on mobile, listen to music, look up directions, get news, get real-time traffic reports, watch television or streaming internet, they're all essential in today's car, particularly in a city like Los Angeles where you can spend a couple of hours a day just going nowhere sitting in your car. Of course, cars, they operate by computer and so all of them have that and uh, it knows where you are and it knows where you've been and it knows how long you've been there. And the new developments that are taking place are going to measure everywhere you go, every street and freeway that you take, the time of the day that you travel, and it'll enable the authorities to um, charge you by the miles you drive, the types of streets you take, and the time of the day that you're traveling. So I think it's a pretty good idea to charge people for the use of infrastructure as long as the governments don't get too greedy. I know that most people I speak to about this think that this whole Big Brother thing's already gone way too far and want to be ta- and don't want to be taxed on their travel. I also understand that point of view. Your internet-connected handset can directly connect with your vehicle's hardware and computer systems. However... Your mobile device will drive all key facets, including the internet access, and the car simply provides some tools to, to facilitate your mobile device. For example, the dashboard user interface, voice controls, speakers, jacks, steering wheel-based controls, and all of that can be um, driven through internet um, through through your car. The other way to do it is to provide the connection through external means. That in the, community, the computing and the delivery of the services is done within the car through, for example, Bluetooth or USB, and it links the navigation system to your phone, contact list, and then a simple press of the button and the car gives you the guidance irrespective of where the hell you are. So it's... um. Another option is, I guess, for the car to house the operating system and all the apps and all the services, and a mobile device will seek with whatever is in the car, but your mobile device will not be central to running the car-based apps. So it's very interesting. Add to this the functionality of um, self-driving, self-parking. So all you need is the car. You just get in and it parks itself, drives itself, and does everything you want. 
Very interesting. Good. Hopefully, I won't hit anything. This week, the results of the YouGov brand index survey of over one and a quarter million people was released, and Amazon, no surprise, was the most highly regarded brand in the United States last year. A big surprise to me, until I really started thinking about it, was that Google, which is always rated extremely high, did not rank at all in 2013. Every major internet company in the world took a big nosedive. People simply don't trust them with their information, and they're concerned that they're all cooperating in providing your information to the government. And, of course, that's exactly what they are doing. (laughs) So I think you'll find a few surprises in the list of top ten best brands, as I did. So, you know, I just just blew me away. So here goes. Number one is Amazon. No surprise there. Brilliant company. Always does everything right. Always works hard. Number two, now this one really shocked me, is Ford. So Ford's the second most respected brand in America. And I would have thought it would have been a technology company, but um, Ford took away number two. Subway, number three. And Subway is the uh, largest franchise in the world. It's got about 7,000 more franchisees than McDonald's. It is huge, and it deserves to be a respected brand. The History Channel, that's fair enough. Great um, programs on the History Channel. But how about number five? Lowe's. Lowe's Department Store. Number five most respected brand in America. Bloody hell. Who on earth would have picked that one? Not me. YouTube, number six. No surprise there. Walgreens at seven. See, I wouldn't have picked them either, but listen to eight. V8, the eighth most respected brand in America. I don't get it. Cheerios, for God's sake, is at number nine. And Kindle's at number 10. Now, who would have thought that Cheerios was more respected brand than Kindle? Target is a brand that's always done extremely well, but it got hammered when uh, 110 million credit card accounts were hacked. But also interesting in this survey is the fact that the financial institutions that all took a dive after the 2008 economic meltdown that they caused, they've all bounced back. The five brands that made the biggest gains in consumer perception in 2013 were American Airlines, one. Goldman Sachs came in, two. Bank of America, third. JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley tying for seventh and eighth. So the financial companies have made a big comeback. But all small businesses, no matter who you are or what sort of business you're in, should take very serious note of the underlying message in these surveys. Your brand equity, which is the esteem in which the community holds your brand, 
is absolutely critical to your success. We talk about this all the time, but most people don't take any notice. Now, once people don't trust you, as evidenced by the low ranking of technology companies, Google, Apple, Facebook, you'd think they'd all be high ranking, but the people don't trust them, and that's starting to hurt them. Target, with their credit card breaches, have been hammered financially, and it not only hurts your sales, it hurts right across your business. Your share price gets hammered. Employee morale gets hammered, so therefore your productivity goes down. Your share price goes down, and even your ability to raise money. So you should be out there guarding your reputation at all costs. Now, this program is all about saluting successful entrepreneurs. I love entrepreneurs, and we're about assisting you wherever we can and however we can, um, no matter where you are in the world. So I thought today that I would... um, Instead of talking about the superstar entrepreneurs that started with nothing and end up with hundreds of millions, I'd mention some entrepreneurs who are smaller but are doing some great things and very clever things. Now, often these young entrepreneurs, they don't get recognized because they don't rise to those stratospheric heights. And so people just sort of gloss over them. It's taken as, I don't know, red. But one of the things that I love about Generation Next, which is the generation now, is that um, they're people between 14 and 30, I suppose, is they don't sit around and complain. They get off their asses and do something. Many of them are not out there looking for jobs. They're out there creating jobs. If they had a job and they were laid off, they're just as likely to become an entrepreneur as they are to keep looking for a job. I love this quality and they're going to do much better. For this generation, they just go and create their own economy. This, The next generation, which is what we call them, are 120% more likely to be business owners and Amazingly, 21% of college students and recent graduates start businesses of their own as a result of the employment situation. That's amazing, isn't it? 21% of all college students, I'm not sure how many college students there are in America, but tens of millions, start their own businesses. So let me just mention a few of them. Sean Kelly, he's 28 years old. He began HealthyVending.com. He was selling selling vending machines full of healthy food. He drew on his savings and partnered with a Stafford, Stafford, Stanford University MBA and formed Human Health Vending in Santa Monica, which is not far down the road from me. Last year, his revenue was $3 million. This year, they're targeting... 10 million, and 10% of the net proceeds are donated to fighting obesity and malnutrition. So three years ago, doing nothing, sets up vending machines with healthy food. How hard's that? Two years later, going to do $10 million. Anthony Saladino, also 28, 
He was laid off after five years as a kitchen designer and a sales manager. So instead of looking for another job, he contacted the kitchen cabinet manufacturers that he'd been doing business with selling in his previous job, and he took them online. His brother contributed $10,000 in funding, and in two years, kitchen cabinet kings are now doing half a million dollars in revenue. So ten grand to half a million dollars. Not bad. A hell of a lot better than working for a living. Kate McGinley was fired from a job at PNC Bank in 2009. She invested $650. That's it in 2010 to start a new web development company. And she sent $50 to Google AdWords. First year she cleared 250000 This year she's doing 500000 So it just goes to show you what you can do with just a lousy $650. Like I always said, the absolute worst way to earn a living is to go and earn a living. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of your business, it doesn't matter what the hell it is, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will either answer you on air or because of the volume we get, we will probably answer you directly. But if we do answer you on air, you get a copy of my latest book, so that makes it worth it. So we're the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs, no matter where you are on the planet. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. A few weeks ago, I interviewed a guy named John Maddox, fantastic guy, become a good friend of mine, and he runs a company called Serious Startups, and this is one of the best ideas I've ever heard to assist entrepreneurs, and so I love the idea so much that I'm working with them, but I also decided to rerun this interview because it ran Christmas Eve when you know we had a pretty low listening audience, or anybody listens on Christmas Eve has got to have something wrong with them. Now, if you've got a great idea and don't have the the funds to develop it or commercialize it, which many, many, many entrepreneurs don't have, John provides the lawyers, the IP attorneys, the technology experts, software engineers, everything that you're going to need to make your project successful. And he pays for it all. And he takes equity in exchange. It is a fantastic idea and John will be my guest immediately after the break. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business and I'll be back with John in just a moment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. 
Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And this is a segment of the show where we talk to people who are taking initiatives that can help all of we entrepreneurs to be more successful. This segment's not just about helping our guests promote their business. We really do try to ask questions that will provide answers that are for the benefit of all of us. We try to find out what it is that makes them tick, what's made them successful, and what we can take away from their experience or their project that will make our journey in business a bit less challenging. As we all know, it is difficult to set up a business and make it successful. This program's all about saluting and assisting entrepreneurs, no matter what your endeavour, so that we're in a position where we can emulate these success stories and encourage others to get out, get out there, get off their ass, and have a go. Now, today's entrepreneur is what I believe is a revolutionary idea that can really facilitate bringing a lot of great concepts to to fruition. I only heard about this a couple of days ago, and I love it. I think it is a brilliant idea. My guest is John Maddox. John's a serial entrepreneur and a tech startup investor, and he's bridging the gap between the tech startup idea stage, that's the real early stage, and gaining investment. So everything between thinking of it and getting it onto the market. John's a specialist in business logic and marketing strategy, as well as web and mobile application development. He's the CEO of Serious Startups, and he recently sold his interactive agency to focus entirely on helping people take business concepts from the idea stage to launch without needing to raise investment capital in the initial phase. As you know, that's when the business is the least attractive and the money's the most expensive. John's the one that takes the risk and he's assembled a great team of specialists. He's totally surrounded by brilliant people, this guy, to accomplish the goals of the entrepreneur. So he wants to achieve your goals and he's got the expertise on hand to be able to do it. And at the moment, all of the capital for developing this comes out of John's pocket, not yours. His main goal is to help entrepreneurs and professionals with great ideas to be able to turn them into reality. And his personal passion is to help inspire those with great ideas to take risks and control their own destiny. Hear, hear. You know, there's not much future in being middle management over the next 10 years. If you're not an entrepreneur, you're at the wrong end of the stick. And he's doing this not just from an emotional perspective, but to ensure that you have a solid business model and then you move forward in the best position possible to achieve your dreams. John, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Good to talk to you again. 
Well, Bob, I really appreciate you uh, you having me on. I don't know uh, what to say. That was the most uh, glowing uh, introduction of myself I've ever heard. My uh, my head is swelling. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love it. I mean, it's such a cool idea, and it, it, it's totally unusual. I've never seen it before. Um, I, I really do love it. I'm not just saying that, but I'm, I mean it. In fact, I've got a project I'm going to send you away today. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I really appreciate that. The... Uh, and the idea really came out of uh, it not existing, at least not to, to my knowledge, not research to see uh, if it exists. It doesn't have a few little different pieces here and there, but um, I had so many people with really interesting concepts coming to me as a um, as a vendor um, with my interactive agency. And you know, as soon as you told them, "Hey, well, that's going to be two hundred fifty thousand dollars to build out," they uh, they generally have a heart attack. I understand. And, uh, eyes get wide, and they thought it was going to be you know, oh, that's not five thousand dollars. And uh, he's like, well, no, um, there's going to be a team of seven people working on this for six months. Yeah. Uh, we don't work for negative money. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, but then oftentimes, people with interesting concepts, um, even ones that had ridiculous ideas, but uh, they would go and try and get in front of uh, investors, and the investors would say, well, come back to me with a working prototype. Sure. You know, we're in that idea stage, and um, from a risk standpoint, I understand where the investors are oftentimes coming from if the person with the with the idea isn't a, a tech person, a marketing person, a, uh, a strategist, and uh, and all those things, you know, encompassed into one one human. There's no way they can do it all. They need a team, and uh, as as you know, um, specifically, the there's a lot that goes into the tech startup world beyond just having an idea. There's Absolutely. a lot of, of different angles to come at it, and the technology change. What's possible changes so rapidly um, that. You know what you what you were thinking about might not have been doable or been extraordinarily complex six months ago, and now it's child's play. And the other and thing, the other the thing is, that, yeah, the other thing is today you've got to move quickly. You know, there's two thousand new apps released every day, two thousand new ideas, new projects out there every day, and. You know, I've often said on this program that too many people develop something and then spend three years trying to perfect it when ideally you want to be out in the marketplace as fast as you can get out there. Because if somebody does buy you, they're probably going to scrap all the stuff you've done anyway. They want the core um, fundamentals of what you're doing and then they, you know, they go their own way and meld it into whatever they've got. So, um, you know, you really want to develop it quickly and then hit the market. Don't you? That's a question. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, you know, what I really ran into with even folks that uh, were clients of mine that had gotten funded, um, had investment backing, uh, you know, they would have come through with the idea, you know, six months before. By the time they raised the capital, another six months has gone by. Then we've got three, four, five, six months of development yep. uh, to do. And now you're 12 months down the road, and to your point on how rapidly things are coming out, you know, we live in a world of simultaneous discovery. I mean, that's yes, just, um, just reality. And if you don't take that into account, you're setting yourself up for somebody to steal your idea. We've all sat there on the couch watching TV and seen a commercial for a, a concept that we had three years ago. Yeah, And that right. had that idea a long time ago. Yeah, and, so did 10,000 uh, other people. You know, pulled the trigger and, and Right, right. And uh, so kind of from, from the serious startups, um, you know, business logic, uh, yes, I am, I am taking a risk. But if we can, you know, rapidly knock these things out in, you know, the prototype stage through the high level, not just from a, uh, a programming and coding standpoint, but also branding, uh, marketing launch strategy, customer acquisitions, all those things, um, and compact that as fast as possible, 
one, we can prove market viability of the concept to start to you know, gain some initial traction, which has one of, potentially has one of two outcomes, or, or it could be both. Um, first, you don't necessarily need investment capital if True. you've uh, started gaining customers. Um, secondarily, uh, investors, especially at the, you know, the scale stage, they want to see if you have a proven concept. Yeah. And my goal is to, and my team's goal is to have something that looks awesome, because we all know perception is reality. Sure. Um, but secondary to that, we also have solid business logic, revenue models, uh, customer acquisition strategies in play, and can prove customer acquisition cost to um, investors. So from their perspective, it's, oh, well, this is already done, and yeah. it's working, and my, I can actually project um, you know, realistic uh, return on investment for, uh, for them, which anybody that's ever been down that road knows is what they're, you know, they're looking for outside of, you know, how good is the idea? It's, it's even if it's a great idea, if you haven't figured those pieces out, um, they're much less likely to take the risk on you. One of the pro- one of the problems that I see, you know, I, I'm in a similar business to you, and one of the problems that I see is that um, people come all the time, often with a great idea, but the material that they send out to investors, you know, they send a hundred page business plan, and the guy's getting a hundred of those a day to take you a month to read them. Um, I find that investors initially want one page, two pages, answering the ten questions that they want answered, not the ones you want to tell them, but the ones that pertain to them because what they initially do um, in my experience is is make a risk reward judgment how much is um, am I going to risk and what's the potential reward and you know they get offered everything from apps to real estate deals to new fuels to new engine models every day and they don't care what they invest in really as long as it the risk rewards there and most entrepreneurs don't know how to put that together well, that, that's, that's very true, and, and the other things that I've run into um, that, co- that correlate with what you're talking about there is just in the in the idea stage. I've had uh, plenty of uh, people come to me, uh, both as a vendor and, and, and since we launched serious startups, with an idea, and I'm like, okay, you're, I, I like the idea, but what's your revenue model? And, oh, well, I'm thinking we're going to maybe do some advertising, maybe we'll make it a subscription service, or maybe we'll do a freemium model, and... Uh, I'm saying, okay, well, number one, that directly impacts uh, the direction we take on the development side sure. and can increase complexity, decrease complexity, um, you know, time to build it out. But more importantly, uh, this, this is separate from, um, you know, I, I'm looking at it because if I like the idea, then we'll develop it out. It's not a capital raise standpoint but uh, or issue. But if you go into investors, and one of the very first questions, I'm sure you can attest to this, one of the very first questions they're going to ask you is, what's your revenue model? Yeah, absolutely. And if you say, well, I'm going to figure that out after we launch. Can you please give me a half million dollars to get it off the ground? Yeah. They're going to probably, maybe not directly, but they're going to laugh you out of the room. Uh, probably and, directly. Uh, <laughs> now, I just, want to make, I just want to make a point here that I think is really interesting. You had a very successful company, and you sold that so that you could take a big risk on helping startups for equity instead of money. That is a big risk and shows a tremendous commitment to what you're doing. Oh, that's fantastic, I reckon. Well, and, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Sorry to interrupt you there. Do you specialize in any particular type of technology? I presume that it's only technology that you're interested in, but do you, do you um, specialize in any specific type of technology? 
Um, not particularly. I mean, we're very, uh, very advanced in uh, mobile application, web application, hybrid uh, softwares as a service. Yeah. Um, that's kind of our, uh, our, our bailiwick. There's been some very dramatic advancements in what's possible uh, these days, but also just the complexity that goes into it. Uh, we've actually built out a, a very, very high-level framework for our mobile applications that uh, uh, enable a faster turnaround time, but also extraordinarily high level, so we can make them instantly compatible with, um, you know, Windows, Android, and um, iPhone and iPad without having to um, make it an insanely complicated uh, sure. uh, process, but still operate at, at a very high level. Um, in the context of, um, you know, specifics, um, I'm looking for uh, niche business problem solution technologies that are, are, are needed. That's what we're really we're looking for. I know, uh, I know there's plenty of folks sitting out there with a fantastic concept that would solve a problem for their industry. And, you know, a lot of times they just don't pull the trigger because they know it would cost a lot of money. They don't want to go through the uh, investment uh, uh, securing rounds or they can't convince their boss that it's a good idea, sure. all those kind of things. And there's also plenty of business owners that are sitting on uh, significant issues and they're busy running their company and don't have time to deal with it. Yeah. And, if, uh, if we're able to partner with people that um, know the industry in and out, we know ours in and out. You know yours in and out. And if we're able to do this as a joint, uh, a joint venture, yeah. then the chances of success go up exponentially versus uh, going and raising capital and initially and, uh, and then hiring a company like my former one. And yeah, like, that was the... It's a, where, do, where do you... Um, do you, do you draw the line anywhere? I mean, it, will you take somebody who walks in and says, "Hey, I've got a great idea"? Will you take them on, or do you need the the project to be advanced at least some way before you look at it? No, no, we've uh, we've actually taken on things in a uh, already in a variety of um, variety of angles. Um, one, which I uh, I literally just uh, finished. Uh, signing the, the agreement with right before, uh, right before our, our, our interview here um, is with a, um, a dental practice. Uh, right. the, the people that came with the idea are, are dentists themselves, and they got very, very frustrated with the uh, how just how horrible to be blunt the uh, the existing platforms for you know uh, electronic health records are for the dental industry. Yeah, a law absolutely. goes into effect on January first that forces them to have it by law, but their options are horrible. Well, two years ago, they had become so frustrated that they uh, started working on a uh, on a new platform. Made it very advanced. It's just fantastic. When they sat down and talked with me, um, <clears throat> they were almost to the launch stage. Right. And I said, "Okay, well, you guys are way down way on the track." And from their standpoint, what they really need is the marketing and growth um, help uh, on that end, rather than as much on the development side. Right. And we are implementing uh, we are doing development for them, but most of our, our personal focus is on uh, the marketing and, and growth side because they've made all the way on this path and they're like, wait a minute, we have an awesome product, but we're not marketers. Yeah. We're actually kind of busy running our, our dental practice. Yeah. Um, so that's one aspect, uh, or one context, take way further down the road. Now, another one, gentleman came in off the street and uh, he's a, a general contractor. Right. And he had a really fantastic idea that solved the problem for his industry and said, hey, is there any way to do this? And we sat down and came up with a concept and, and built it out. And 
and launched it, and it's already gaining traction in a, in a very short period of time. And it's got that kind of thing. Off the street, had nothing to, to show for it. We took it on another one uh, way further down the line, and now we're helping it in a different capacity. So does, does the project have to be something that solves a need? I mean, it, what if it's just a bloody good idea that's, that's cute and, and got legs? Well, I, uh, I'm open to, to that as well. The, uh, I'll give you an example of one that uh, I think is just a, a damn good idea. Uh, it's called uh, My Tip Jar. And uh, any of you that ever go out and listen to a musician uh, that work for tips, yeah. Uh, you've probably been sitting there and the, the the attractive blonde lady walks around with the glass jar and says, hey, can you tip the band? Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I, oftentimes, I, I live in Nashville, so I'm in Music City, USA, yeah. and uh, that happens on a very regular basis, but I hardly ever carry cash. And yeah. the I, I want to tip the band, but I don't have cash. Yeah. And uh, Will Mulligan came to me and said, hey, John, uh, I think we should build an app that allows you to tip the band right. from your phone. So every time, every time you go That's out, pretty interesting. Yeah, now that is a good idea. But every time you go out to lunch, you take people um, to restaurants that um, uh, don't take credit cards, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then there, there's, there's a lot of potential for that beyond things working. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you get your car valeted very often, but um, time. every time I do, I never have cash. And yeah. so there's plenty of different elements of that technology that can be utilized for. Hey, you can have this one focus on the band, this one ballet world. You know, there's a, a variety of uh, potential target audiences for it, and uh, we can look at leveraging um, that, that knowledge much, and success. You know. Is that much different than what the banks are doing now with with this, um, um, you know, share your bill or whatever, where you can, you know, each put in a dollar fifty or seven dollars fifty or whatever? Is, is it much different than that? Um, it, it is. I mean, there's obviously some similarities, but uh, sure. you know, we're a little bit different. We're going beyond just tipping the band. Uh, we're building in geolocation. So if you were sitting at the office and you want to see who's playing in a venue nearby you tonight, um, we also allow you to see um, who's playing. The, the artist can sh- uh, showcase their schedule. Um, yeah. So even if you're not, they're not playing tonight, you can, uh, you can see where they're going to be next, all those kind of things. And then we're also, um, in version two, we're going to be launching things where you're, um, able to share tracks that the uh, artist wants to uh, promote. So if you tip them, you can download a track for free, that kind of thing, um, yeah. share it socially, you can get a, some rewards and things of that nature. The long-term goal being uh, also able to really track um, the data. So from the artist standpoint, you're able to see, oh, when I played it, uh, venue A, I actually generated significantly more money than venue B. It would make more sense for me to try and get rebooked at the first venue rather than the second. Sure. Yeah. Um, those kind of things are from a data standpoint. Um, that's kind of some long-term uh, value of the application. Short-term, hey, let's solve a problem, but I think it's cool. And uh, I've been that guy. I know plenty of people that are. And hey, there's nothing wrong with helping folks in the, in the music industry that are working hard and trying to make it. I agree. Now, so am I right in assuming that if you walk in with an idea and you say, yeah, we like that idea, we'll take it on, um, and all you've got is an idea and nothing else, that um, you would take a very substantial slice of equity. But if I walk in with a project that's well-developed and I've done most of the work and, and um, there's only a specific area that I want improved, then I would pay a significantly less piece of the equity. Is that how it works? That's correct. 
That's correct. Um, that's why I look at it from a bloody great idea. Uh, in terms of equity, how much? How much? Um, how much would I charge you in initial uh, as a vendor? Yeah, and I kind of look at that from a capital investment standpoint. Um, I also look at it from the uh, you know my uh, risk perspective. I mean, in reality, uh, and I'm sure you, you're, this term makes a lot of sense to you and your listeners. Um, in reality, I and my team we're being the lead investor. Yeah, sure. On, uh, on, on your project, and generally Absolutely. they take the the largest chunk because we're taking all the risk. And now in this context, I'm not writing you a check to go hire people like us, but I am uh, personally making sure it gets done and keeping my uh, my team um, involved uh, from a monetary sense as well as um, you know, giving them a piece of the pie as well. So that yeah, from, from my standpoint, uh, everybody in the industry, we all know that you work harder for things you have a vested interest in. Yeah. And it's much more fun if you actually believe in the concept rather than being a, having your boss stand over your shoulder and say, hey, do this. I know you hate it, but do it anyway. Yeah. And, uh, but if it's something that you actually like and think it's a great idea, plus there's a long-term reward for you in it, um, it, it makes a lot of sense in my opinion. Yeah, I, I get people, I'd probably get 10 or 12 people come to me every day that have got ideas at some stage of development, but no money. And, of course, the first thing they want is money, but they don't have enough to substantiate going and getting the money, which makes it extremely difficult um, because hard to find the money. They can't progress without it. And uh, so most of them fall by the wayside. So what reaction... Well, if, you don't mind a, uh, if you don't mind a quick uh, quick plug here, I might uh, have a, an opportunity for some of those folks that uh, don't have much money. Um, we're, uh, we're currently running a uh, crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo. Yep. And uh, all that... All the money that we raise is going to go towards marketing of the startups we've already taken on. Um, right. But uh, some of the things we're doing from a perks standpoint um, is basically offering crazy discounts on things like, hey, we'll build your website. We'll do an awesome video for you. Uh, we're actually running a raffle contest for a website for $5. Uh, you enter a contest and we're going to build a website for somebody. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. So for folks that um, have really good ideas and want a bunch of capital, um, go to Indiegogo, search for serious startups, and uh, check out what we're trying to do and um, and what we have to offer there. Like I said, the the money you do you get to us goes to help your fellow entrepreneurs with great ideas, and at the same time, we're giving folks the opportunity to uh, get things that normally we would charge a uh, a significant amount of money for, um, just as a way to help raise uh, raise additional marketing capital for the startups we're launching. I think I think that's great. Now, so what reaction have you received from you know you're obviously getting a great reaction from entrepreneurs because they, it solves half their problem, well ninety percent of their problem probably. Um, but what sort of reaction are you getting from angel investors and startup accelerators and people like that? Uh, well, the, uh, it's actually kind of funny that you asked that question. The uh, before I, I launched uh, serious startups, um, I was doing you know, what any good businessman going to do and uh, trying to make sure my business logic was correct. And uh, I was calling investors and different investors that I knew and the ones that I didn't and uh, kind of outlining the, the logic to them and uh, getting their feedback and asking them questions. You know, basically, hey, I haven't been an investor before. I've got, I know the other side of the game extraordinarily well, but I don't know your side. Can you give me yeah. insights and, and whatnot? And, and, and they did. They gave me a lot, of, a lot of feedback and they liked the concept and theory. But uh, at the time, in the initial research stage, they were... Uh, well, you know, that sounds interesting. Let me know it's how a hypothetical. Kind of how we end our, yeah. our conversations. 
Yeah, and uh, so I, I, I knew I, I knew that was going to be their response uh, when I made the phone calls. I just wanted to you know, get feedback. But um, since we since we took off, we did a pretty sizable uh, PR push, and I actually spent a considerable amount of money on traditional marketing. I mean, about TV and radio advertising and billboards and, and all sorts of things to really um, you know try and put the name out there to people with ideas and say, hey, stop sitting on your tail. Let's talk about your idea. Um, take risks. But yeah. um, anyway, since, to directly answer your question, since uh, since we've got going on announcing, hey, serious startups took equity in in Job Clocker and um, Access Dental and Mike Fifthyar and you know they're going and looking at them and saying, oh my goodness, he actually did exactly what he said he was going to do, and they're gaining traction. Yeah. Um, now they're calling me, and, and what, what, uh, I'm actually in. Sorry, what sorry, what, what, what might be of, of the appeal? I know. Quite a few myself, and what may be of some interest is for them to be able to hedge their bets by putting an investment across four or five or six or three of your properties um, and hedging their bets, and you know, on the basis that one of them's going to do really well. Well, that, that's that's been a what you just said is the baseline uh, from a long from a macro point of view of, uh, yeah. of my business logic for serious startups is sure. hey, um, invest. Let's mitigate all of our risk. We can do seven or eight of these things for the amount of money that you would have invested in one. And it's a, you know, I'm taking equity position in these, so it's uh, raising uh, your risk. Plus, we have best in interest, therefore your risk goes down again. And uh, let's uh, let's rock and roll and do this and have a, a great partnership. And to your point, yeah, are we under any delusion that every idea we take on is going to be a winner? Of course sure. not. That would be arrogant. But um, if we can if we can mitigate those risks and increase, you know, what is it, one in ten succeeds? If we can make that three in ten, that's worthwhile to both the entrepreneur and the investor, in, in my opinion. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, that's just my uh, my standpoint. These, day, these days you can be successful with one in a hundred. Um, John, thank you very, very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Um, I really appreciate it. I think it's a fantastic idea. So I want you to do two things. Firstly, if you've got a great idea, you're sitting out there and um, you don't know how to move it forward, please um, go to SeriousStartups.com, SeriousStartups.com, or drop me an email at Bob at BobPritchard.com and I will take it to John. Secondly, go to IndiaGoGo, look up Serious Startups, and if you've got some money lying around in the bottom drawer, toss it in because assisting entrepreneurs is what is going to keep this country great and keep this country on the top of the pile. This is Bob Pritchard, and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. 
Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard straight-talking, absolutely no-bullshit business show that comes to you every week. At the same time, from Los Angeles, the city of angels. Please excuse my voice, it's got a bit croaky. As you know, this program's heard all around the world with a big audience in the United States, Germany, United Kingdom, Vietnam, Russia, China, Australia, and a bunch of other places. So thanks for listening. We really appreciate your support. Now, this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners around the world. This week's first email comes from Simon Spicer from Mesa, Arizona. Simon's email says, thanks, Bob. I really love your show. I've been listening for over a year, and I think my business knowledge has increased tenfold over that period. I also bought a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets on audio, and I listen to it in the car every day to and from work. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Bob, my question revolves around the fact that we are a small business and I'm not quite sure how we can market effectively against our much larger competition. Simon, I I know it's daunting to have to compete against some of the giants in your field because they've probably got a strong history, a strong brand, but more importantly, they often have a large amount of money usually much more than the smaller competition does. However, being positive about it, there are literally hundreds of examples of smaller companies who have taken on the big guys and won. Marketing's about delivering a better value proposition than your competitor, whether they're large or small, doesn't matter. It's about identifying unfulfilled needs and desires, your customers unfulfilled needs and desires. It's about pinpointing which segments that you're capable of serving best and with the most appropriate products and services. The first thing, mate, that you've got to do is to determine your competitors' weaknesses. For example, larger companies often ignore certain customer segments because they may may be unprofitable or they might be difficult to serve. So by identifying and targeting these areas, you may be able to develop a new market for yourself, a totally new niche. And while your bigger uh, competitors have more resources, they often have very fixed policies and little flexibility. So by being creative in the products and services that you offer, you can capitalize on these customers who dislike the the my way or the highway approach that some of these big companies have. You know, Southwest Airlines began with three planes and targeted passengers that couldn't afford to fly on the other airlines or to, you know, they drove or they took the bus or they did something else. 
They've remained mavericks, but they've refused to charge all the annoying little fees that really piss people off. And they've endeared themselves to their loyal customers. And they're the largest carrier of domestic passengers now in an extremely competitive and very hard to make a profit business. And they've made a profit every quarter since they've started. I think it's like 110 quarters in a row where they've made a profit. There's also much more of an attitude in big companies of, you know, it's just a job. The employees don't really care about the customer. Sure, the big companies have got their extensive um, customer relationship management programs, but they don't have a real customer-centric culture. It's much easier for a small company to build a strong customer-first culture, which is a very powerful tool to attract customers and also retain them, which is even more important. And the larger the company is, the more it has management, shareholders and investors. They're demanding monthly results. They're demanding quarterly results. The pressure frequently, frequently leads large companies to make very short decisions that are not good for long-term customer relations. Clayton Christensen, one of the world's top experts on innovation, as you probably know, has done in-depth research on how industry leaders get blindsided, you know, precisely because they focus too closely on the most profitable customers and the most profitable businesses. He coined the phrase disruptive innovation. I reckon it's a great phrase, and it describes the process by which a product or a service begins in simple applications at the bottom of the market and then continually moves up market, eventually displacing established competitors. He wrote a great book called The Innovator's Solution, and in it he describes how this process starts with creating innovations which are targeted towards demanding high-end customers and then providing better performance than was previously available. So the common theme is making better products that can be sold for more money to the most attractive customers. And he found that large companies tend to innovate much faster than the customer's needs evolve. So they end up producing products or services that are too sophisticated, too expensive, or just too bloody complicated for many of their customers. They sell these innovations at the top end of the market because charging the highest prices to the most sophisticated customers, it, that helps them be get the most profitability. But by doing this, the large companies open the door to disruptive innovations at the bottom end of the market. The larger competitor usually ignores this threat because they're not interested in competing against what they perceive as an inferior product or an inferior service sold at a much lower cost to customers that they really don't care about. Can you remember the time when the mainframe computer manufacturers laughed at the personal computer and how digital cameras were ridiculed by professional photographers? Well, who's laughing now? How about when online education was laughed at by the university? Well, the screws come full turn. The most important thing for a small competitive company is don't take the big guys on head to head. The knowledge, you know, acknowledge your own weaknesses and choose an unconventional strategy, which the larger guys are very likely to ignore. They'll just not worry about you at all. And figuring out 
what customers want is the key, but it sure as hell isn't easy. You need to stop asking about what customers want and focus on the jobs that they need to get done and the outcomes that they have to achieve. And the social, local and mobile revolution that we're in the middle of now presents just an amazing opportunity for all small businesses because it's leveled the playing field between the big guys and the small guys. Nobody knows whether you're big or small, but you've got to remember that technology is only a means to an end, the end being the jobs that customers have to get done. Entrepreneurs can make innovation more predictable and sustainable once they understand this, and then you can close the gap to accomplish what the customer needs. You need to create a compelling and a sustaining value proposition. So instead of fearing your rivals, attack their soft underbelly by targeting the customers who are not getting the right product at the right price and who are getting less than the service they desire. Simon, since you've got a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets audiobook, we will send you out a copy of Marketing Magic. This is a book I wrote with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and a bunch of others. I think you'll find it's a great read and it gives you a number of perspectives on how to deliver great marketing. We'll get that out to you tomorrow. That's the only email I get time to answer today. But if you're a regular listener to the show and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com. We're in the middle of a big shake-up at the website, so we're hoping that it'll be better, quicker, smoother, and have more substance and information on it within the next couple of weeks maximum. Send in your questions. Email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Don't forget to become my contact on LinkedIn. We LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn all the time. And don't forget, if you've got a particular guest you'd like me to interview or a particular topic that you want me to talk about, just email me, bob at bobpritchard.com, and we will do that. I hope you've enjoyed the show. You know, we've been absolutely thrilled and privileged to bring you this show since 2011. It's a heap of fun doing it each week. And I'll be with you at the same time next week no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. So thanks for listening to The Bob Pritchard. No bullshit business radio show for entrepreneurs. And remember, if you are serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same same time. Because when you're not learning, someone somewhere else is. And when you two meet, if your competitor knows more than you do, they'll win. So keep listening to the show. Keep ahead of the news. Keep ahead of the information. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have an absolutely fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.